All right. Give That Fan a Podcast is back with a face with which I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, he used to host the payoff pitch right here on Utah Street Report. Now he hosts the bat around on Press Box on Saturday mornings. Paul Valley has graciously agreed to co-host Give That Fan a Podcast with me. Paul, I appreciate it very much. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to do it. I'm, I'm happy you thought of me, and I always like talking baseball with you. That's why you're our fill-in uh, on the bat around, because you always have good things to say, and you're knowledgeable about the team from the top to the bottom of the organization. So thrilled to be here, thrilled to talk some baseball, and uh, you know, I'm ready to, ready to get after it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Well, our, our last project kind of fell through after a little bit, so I, I am glad you agreed to do this with me. Um, this this podcast has been dark for a little bit. If uh, if any of you listening have any interest in reading a little bit on why, I did post an article on Utah Street Report last week just kind of explaining that haven't really had the motivation. I've kind of been in that mindset where you can get all this information just about anywhere. Why should you listen to me talk about the Orioles? But I decided after a while, enough is enough, and I enjoy it enough to continue doing it, whether or not we're duplicating information that you can get on another podcast or another show. Uh, But we're here to have some fun. Um, And before we dive into some Orioles talk, I did want to bring up the passing of Vince Scully, an absolute broadcasting legend, Um, been around for many, many years, 67 years broadcasting the Brooklyn Dodgers, then the Los Angeles Dodgers passed away on Tuesday at the age of 94. Uh, Paul, you're, you're an industry guy. What does is, what is Vin Scully mean to you? He was the voice of baseball, man. When, when you think about baseball and you think about the all-time broadcasters, the top of everybody's list, just about everybody's list is Vin Scully. And when I saw it last night, you could literally look at your, at your Twitter feed and every single post was about Vin Scully and it all started with, this sucks. And it does suck because he was his name, his voice synonymous with baseball. And beyond that, just a great ambassador for the game, just a quality human being from all for for all intents and purposes, from everything I've heard. I've never actually had the pleasure of meeting the man, but just a a quality human being from everything I've heard. And again, he was a voice of baseball for so long. It's a huge loss for the baseball family. And when you think of the, what was it, eight Hall of Famers that we lost last year, and then this year we lose Vin Scully, it's um, it's it's a tough blow, tough blow. Um, 94 years old, he lived a long, fruitful life. And, you know, sorry to, sorry to have to talk about him under these circumstances, but I think it's more important to celebrate the life that he led rather than mourn his passing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, you see – things pouring in from broadcasters all across social media talking about how they're all indebted to him and and forever in his shadow and and that's certainly the case i mean the the way he he did everything with with professionalism and um precision with the craft is is really remarkable mm-hmm. um you know i'm i'm a night owl myself i remember going to bed so many times with the the west coast dodgers on on the radio because i needed to I needed to get the rest of my baseball fix in before bed, and, and it was Vin Scully's voice. So, uh, Vin, we all love you, and and, and rest in peace. Um, but on a, on a happier note, uh, let's get into some Orioles baseball talk. We'll get into some discussion about uh, this recent series with the Texas Rangers. But the big news from the last few days is the trade deadline. Uh, three moves the Orioles made. They acquired Brett Phillips from the Tampa Bay Rays. They traded Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros, and they traded Jorge Lopez to Minnesota. I want to start with Brett Phillips because it's a, a lighter trade, I guess. Um, this was a, a head-scratcher for me. Um, I, I kind of, you know, the trade came in about 5.30, half an hour left until the deadline, and I was kind of thinking maybe it's a precursor to an Anthony Santander trade, which is the one trade I thought the Orioles needed to make uh, going into the deadline. Uh, but they ended up acquiring Brett Phillips where they already had Ryan McKenna as the fourth outfielder. Yusniel Diaz had been called up and he was on the bench. He was their sixth outfielder. Kyle Stowers is still in AAA. I, I don't really understand it, Paul. Yeah, um, I remember seeing him DFA'd on Monday and thinking to myself, this is a move the Orioles would have made even as recently as last year. And I'm so glad that they're past that point now where they don't need this guy, so why would they sign him? And then lo and behold, they go out and they <laughs> – and they trade for him, uh, and they traded cash considerations. It's not like they gave up a ton for him, but you hit the nail on the head, Ryan. You've already got your three starting outfielders out there. Uh, the, you're not going to bring in Brett Phillips um, 
uh, I guess if you were going to uh, trade Santander and call Kyle Stowers, then you'd bring in Brett Phelps. But even then, you have a logjam with outfielders, and you didn't trade Santander, so he's going to play and hit the heart of your order the rest of the year. You're probably going to call up Stowers at some point. You send Yasniel Diaz down as a corresponding move um, to have Brett Phillips on your active roster. You got Colton Kowser tearing the cover off the ball in Double A. How does Brett Phillips fit in? And I know they lost a high character guy in Trey Mancini. Uh, and people got on me for this yesterday because I was like, not about this signing at all. I was very disappointed in the signing because we have, we already have one guy. <clears throat> wow. Throat just randomly dried up. We already have, <laughs> have a one guy on this roster who is here because he's a cheerleader and doesn't do much else. And that's Ruth Neto door. Why do we need another guy like that? And people got on me about how, infectious his personality is and how he's a great guy. And somebody sent me a link to um, him having a close relationship with this young girl who has cancer. And it's like, uh, yeah, man, like it's that, that's great. But these are separate things. Like he, he can be a philanthropist and charitable and have a great relationship with people, have a great personality and that infectious smile and that incredible laugh. What does he do on a baseball field? He's in, he has a worse slash line this year than Robinson Chirinos. And he went 0 for 2 today with two strikeouts, which you kind of expected because that's what Brett Phillips does. The move never made sense to me. I still don't get it. Uh, And I got kind of attacked because apparently if somebody's a really nice guy, you should want them on your baseball team. Their baseball skills be damned. Yeah, I mean, Phillips is is a great guy. He's a ton of fun to watch, but he's not a good baseball player. And he's especially not a good fit on this team. I mean, we've, we've mentioned the outfield log jam. Um, I, I want to see Kyle Stowers in the starting lineup yesterday on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense and, and talk all you want about how, you know, much of a, a flamboyant personality he is. Um, but he's, he's not, I mean, he's a great defensive outfielder. You give him that, but you already have Cedric Mullins in center field and Austin Hayes and in, in left or right, depending on where you're playing. And, you know, I know Santander hasn't been great, but you're not going to start Brett Phillips over Anthony Santander. And you so, already have Ryan McKenna who homered today and plays a good defensive outfielder at all three positions. Exactly. So he's going to be your, your fourth outfielder fill in guy. I don't, I don't see the role for Brett Phillips. I think he'll be a relatively quick DFA. Um, but I mean, in, I guess we'll enjoy the person. I don't know. He's fun. Yeah. I, I, I like the guy, but. I, I, and I like how they said, um, well, he's, he's now through the place, good defense and uh, gives you some power from the left side. And I'm like, uh, what is, what does Kyle Stowers do again? Right. <laughs> An outfielder that plays, he doesn't play as good a defense as Brett Phillips does, but he gives you a ton more power and a ton more average and a ton more on base uh, capabilities from the left side. And he's, five years younger. Uh, I, I, I don't get the move, but you know, whatever they, they, they somehow managed to sweep Texas while making this move. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a clear indication that they're not ready to call Stowers up yet, which frustrates me to a point because, you know, I, I mentioned this in an article the other day as well. The, the big thing I wanted to see Stowers improve upon this season was his strikeout rate. And he has done that um, without sacrificing uh, any power uh, sacrificed a little bit of average and on base, but nothing concerning. It's just adjustments. I think that he's making along the mm-hmm. way, but, um, it, yeah, you know, picking up a guy like Brett Phillips leads me to believe that they want to keep Stowers at AAA for a little bit longer, which if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, I was fine with having him at AAA for the full season, but I, I think he's ready. Um, we'll, he's we'll been tearing happens. the cover off the ball recently and he's been very, yeah. very productive, uh, at AAA the last couple of weeks. So, and, and Michael Elias went down to Texas after the trade deadline and talked to the players about the moves, not, not to steal thunder for the rest of the show, but, and we won't get into that too much, but he did an interview with, uh, I guess with the media, maybe it was just rock Baca, but he did an interview and he said, you know, we have conversations daily about, should we call up Stowers? So I think him coming up sooner rather than later it just it doesn't make sense to me to bring in a guy who's hitting 147 um to to a team that doesn't need him right so we'll, we'll see what happens there like i said i think he's a candidate to be a relatively quick dfa um let's move on to uh another trade we'll do we'll do trey last because that's the the more emotional one i think uh sure. jorge lopez to minnesota the orioles got four pitching prospects in return uh, one of them, I don't know if you can really call him a prospect, 28 years old, Yenier Cano. 
He has a 307 career ERA in the minors with 126 strikeouts over 108 in the third innings, but 54 walks. Uh, he struggled pretty badly in a 13.2, 13 and two thirds inning uh, major league sample size. Um, he's the the closest to major league ready in that deal. Uh, you've got two Florida Coast League guys in right-handed pitcher Juan Nunez, who's 21 years old, and left-handed pitcher Juan Rojas. He's 18 years old. And then the, uh, I guess the biggest prospect in the deal, left-handed pitcher Cade Povich, he slots in at number 26, according to MLB Pipeline. And this is before they add the recent draft class. Keep that in mind. Uh, 22-year-old lefty, uh, Nathan Ruiz sent out a tweet, uh, I believe it was yesterday, that said the Orioles see him as a potential front-of-the-rotation starter. So uh, it looks like he's the headliner of this deal. Cano seems like a guy they might be able to fit into a bullpen slot. But uh, what's what's your reaction to the Lopez so- trade? Kate Povich, number 26 in their system or 26 on the top 100? 26 in the Orioles system. In the Orioles system. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. See, see, made that clear. So, so I'm sitting here and because I, I didn't think he was in the top 100, but I'm looking at the notes. I'm like, wait a second. Uh, it, the, the, I got on board with trading Jorge Lopez because I saw something in him when he came in and the game was super, super like, yeah, he had 19 saves and he had uh, in 22 opportunities. I think it was. Um, but I saw something in him the last month that led me to believe that sometimes moments would be too big for him, that maybe he felt too much pressure. And one of the times was when he came in against um, Tampa Bay in the one game that the Orioles lost in that series with the runner on second base and nobody out. And he decided he, he didn't want to throw strikes. I think he was nibbling, trying to make sure that guy didn't score. And then he gives up the infield single on the bouncer t- 10 feet in front of home plate. And yeah. the wheels fell off a little bit there for him. And I saw, and I'm watching that. And I saw what he did in Minnesota, what he did against Texas. And I'm like, if, if they're going to trade him, I, I, I don't necessarily like the mental makeup of him in situations where one swing can change the game. Um, so I got on board with trading him. I thought, however, that an all-star closer, especially when you saw what um, the Brewers got back for uh, Josh Hader, yeah, I thought an all-star closer would get more than what the Orioles got. Now, look, if the Orioles view Cade Povich as a top-of-the-rotation st- starter, uh, Mike Elias is better at this than I am. You know, so I, I, yeah. I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to hate on that, but it, it was a bit of a head scratch. They didn't get anybody that was quality major league ready. I know Yenier Cano has had a small sample size in the majors, but. I thought they could get a quality big league player for Lopez and they didn't really, I don't mind trading him. I mind trading him for stuff that's not for somebody that's not big league ready yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty underwhelmed by the return myself. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the, the asking price for a lot of these high leverage relievers across baseball uh, getting pretty, pretty solid returns. And I, I don't see it with the Lopez return. Like you said, Elias is, is smarter than us. He's got his scouts who, who know these guys very well. Um, seems like some kind of lottery ticket kind of players. I know a lot of people describe them that way. But the fact of the matter is you get a guy like Jorge Lopez on waivers who does not have a track record of success. You turn him into something that you can trade for four prospects. That's that's a success story in itself. Mm-hmm. And so you know whether or not you think that this team should have traded their closer when you when you look at it in a vacuum and the type of player that Jorge Lopez was and now is, I, I think the Orioles did well. But you know, again, you, it's you can kind of look at it a couple different ways. Either they turned him into something of a trade candidate, or they sold him at peak value and didn't really get what you'd consider peak value in return. But nonetheless, Jorge Lopez now closer for the Minnesota Twins got a seven out save in his first appearance on Wednesday for them. Wow! Yeah, oh, one strike out in the middle. Was it a um? Were they like up pretty big? It was four to one. Yeah, he had okay. he had a three run three run lead. Oh, it was a three run lead. But se- that's a seven out save. That's a sorry, I... seven pitch. Save. Seven pitch. Oh, okay, gotcha. He's just <laughs> I seven had... outs. I was like, sheesh. He had a couple. I a slip of the tongue. He had a couple multi inning saves uh, here, but uh, yeah. not quite not quite two and a third innings. That'd be that'd be pretty impressive. But yeah, um, yeah seven pitches. I apologize. Save for Jorge Lopez in his uh, Twins debut. Uh, Moving on, Trey Mancini hit a homer in his first uh, plate appearance as a starter for the Houston Astros uh, on Wednesday. Two-run shot in, I think it was the bottom of the second inning. I don't. It was it was in the second, and it was a home run that would not have been a home run at Camden Yards. Yeah, well, hey, I, I tweeted out, and I know a lot of people have said this, but I, I tweeted out shortly after the trade that 
you know, Trey has voiced his frustration with the new left field wall at Camden Yards, and now he gets to play with the Crawford boxes. And, uh, you know, his his home run on Wednesday was not a, a cheap shot by any means, but like you said, would not have been out of the ballpark left center field at Camden Yards. Uh, so Mancini goes to Houston. In return, the Orioles, so it's three-team trade. Uh, Orioles get right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he slots in as the Orioles' number eight prospect on MLB Pipeline. He was the Rays' number nine prospect, according to Baseball America. 40th overall pick in 2019. He is due for Tommy John surgery, I believe, this week. Uh, but a, a solid prospect there in Seth Johnson. And then right-handed pitcher Chase McDermott from the Astros. He slots in at number 12 on MLB Pipeline for the Orioles. Uh, Baseball America had this guy as the number six prospect on the Houston Astros. Um, he was a fourth round pick in 2021. Huge strikeout numbers. He's got a big fastball, struggles with command. Uh, that seems to be the Orioles type. What do you make mm-hmm. of the Trey Mancini return? Well, the fact that they got anything of potential value for Trey Mancini blew my mind. And I, I was okay with it. And you and I talked about this on other shows in the past where the kind, the writing was kind of on the wall for Trey Mancini, right? He, yeah. he's, he, he was the oldest everyday player. Uh, on the active roster, not named Robinson Serenos. And uh, he's a first base DH type, and they don't really have a need for that. Now, you can say maybe they do with the way Mountcastle's been struggling for five weeks, but uh, they didn't really have a need for that. So they, rather than see him walk at the end of the year, because they weren't picking up the option, and if they did, he wasn't picking up the option, and vice versa, right? The, the mutual options never right. get picked up. So the fact that they got two, two potential value picks out of this, or value players out of this, was impressive to me. And when you look a little bit further and they they view uh, Seth Johnson as a guy who could potentially be a number two or number three in their rotation, coming off the Tommy John surgery where he's not going to pitch probably at all next year. And if he does, it won't be till late in the year. And then you look at right. Chase McDermott, uh, who's got late inning reliever written all over him. He's going to get an opportunity to start here, but he's got late inning reliever all over him. I think that these are two guys that potentially could be quality big league pitchers for the Orioles in the future with Johnson in the distant future, with McDermott maybe the nearer future. I don't hate this. I don't hate it at all. I hate that Trey's not here. I hate that people are heartbroken about it, but the writing's been on the wall for three months or four months. We knew this was coming, and if you didn't, that's kind of on you at this point, right? Right. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, a 30-year-old first-base DH type, not a huge market for that kind of player. And I think the Orioles did really well here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's it's an emotional thing to watch a guy like Trey Mancini get traded, especially to a team that I think a lot of people don't particularly want to root for. Uh, but now, you know, obviously, we all want Trey to, to go out and chase a ring as long as it's not at the Orioles' expense. Uh, but th- there were a lot of different reactions on social media that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way and it, it kind of it, it seemed like let me ask you this paul is it am i fan police if i'm trying to say that you shouldn't be fan police it's um a, it's a I, weird that's like that's like inception like a dream within a dream right right like if um, i'm trying to avoid people being fan police does that make me well, no. I mean, if you're telling people don't be fan police, I guess it kind of does make you fan police. But if you're saying it like, hey, look, guys, your, your reaction's your reaction and you should feel free to have your reaction. Then, no, you're not you're not being the fan police there. And people take this and look, people will accuse me of taking this way too seriously. I, I put up some posts that rub people the wrong way. And I've kind of always been that way. I, I don't pull any punches when it comes to the Orioles. Um, if I disagree with something or if I don't like what a player has done. Um, but some people get a little, a little out of hand with this kind of thing. So, uh, you know, you saying, Hey, let people have their reactions. Yeah. Cause I've been attacked for simply stating that the player went 0 for 4 and left seven men on base. I won't say right. that player, but <laughs> I, 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 I got dragged for it. So I remember that. Yeah. Now, my, my big thing is like, and I, I tweeted this out after I saw a bunch of these reactions. Um, I, I kind of said to everybody, I won't use as colorful language here as I did on Twitter, but I basically said, can everyone stop telling other people how to react to the most beloved player that we've had since Adam Jones getting traded? Like there's no, there's no wrong way. When you consider everything that Trey Mancini meant to the city of Baltimore um, with the the cancer story and, and being the guy who was here throughout the whole rebuild, um, 
I don't think there's a wrong way to look at it. And I, I wrote out a bunch of bullet points of like things that I think are okay, like reactions that I think are reasonable. Do you think it's a horrible idea to move these guys when the Orioles are close to a wild card? That's fine. If you think the team's record is a little fluky and selling is the right call at this point, that's fine. If you think Trey was more valuable to the Orioles than he'd be anywhere else, that's fine. If you think Trey was a 30-year-old DH who needed to be traded, that's fine too. You think, you know, look at Jorge Lopez. If you think he's been too good this season for the Orioles to trade when they're in the position they're in, that's fine. Do you think he's a flash-in-the-pan waiver claim guy who was sold at his highest value? That's fine too. Do you think the bullpen will be just as good without him? Fine. You think Elias sucks? I don't care. That's okay. <laughs> you think Elias is doing a great job? That's fine too. Like it, it, it rubs me the wrong way that people are trying to say, oh, you're sad about Trey Mancini. Here's why you shouldn't be sad that he was traded. It's perfectly reasonable to be upset that a, a Trey Mancini or Jorge Lopez is traded. But with all that being said, Paul, what is your overall reaction to the Orioles moves at the trade deadline? Uh, well, get to, just to kind of cap things off the Trey Mancini thing, I think that the one reaction that is ridiculous is – oh, the Orioles are getting rid of their best player when they're this close to the wild card, and I'm not going to watch them anymore because they don't care about winning because that's that's like – that's so far and away not correct. Um, yeah. That, 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 that Trey Mancini is a nice player, not their best player. They're, they're, this, is, this is Adley's team, but that's a, that's a topic for another day. Right? <laughs> there, there are definitely certain reactions that are a little more on the ridiculous side. Um, but overall, my reactions to the trade deadline, man, like, like Trey Mancini, I'm, I'm not going to use the term thrilled with because uh, that might rub people the wrong way. I'm sad <laughs> to see him go, but the, I'm thrilled with the return that they got because I didn't think they could get anything, especially when you look at what the Yankees gave up to get Andrew Benintendi, who I think we can all agree is a better player than yes. Trey Mancini at, at this point in his career. And the Yankees gave up two prospects that were in the, ranked in the 20s in their system. For the Orioles to get a number nine and number 12 prospect from a team, or in some places, number nine and, or number eight and a number six or number six and a number six, um, I, I think is huge for Trey Mancini. So I, I'm, a, I'm happy with the return that they got. Um, Jorge Lopez, I was okay with trading him. Would have liked a better return, but if Kate Povich is what they think he's going to be, then I think that, that's, that that ends up being a win. We're still probably two years away from knowing that, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Brett Phillips, I'll, I'll never not scratch my head over that. I, I, that one it was just a move to make a move. I, I, I mean, they gave up cash, but like w- there are six guys that deserve to be on this roster, and that includes Colton Kowser before Brett Phillips. That one uh, will never make sense to me. Now, let me ask you this, Ryan. Do you buy it when Mike Elias says, I look forward to talking to Trey in free agency? Do no. you think I, I don't buy that either? There's no, no way that he's trying to bring him back. No, he's he's got Ryan Mountcastle at first base. He's not going to go out and and try to get a, a free agent designated hitter when he's got a bunch of capable position players who are going to, I think, be rotating in that slot next year. Right. Um, so no, I, I don't buy it. I think it's just kind of something for the fans to keep him from jumping off the ship. But um, no, I, I I don't see them making a legitimate effort to bring Mancini back now. If if he's out there and he's struggling to find a deal, and the Orioles say, hey, you know, we'll give you. A, a, a one year, I don't know, 11, $12 million. Million. Well, yeah. I, I Maybe was five million is a little low. Yeah. Yeah. You know, somewhere around 10, I think is, is reasonable, you know, one year, two year deal, maybe to be our DH. If, if he's struggling to find a home and we don't have a regular designated hitter, then sure. But I, I think you've got enough guys who are, are ready for big league time that you're going to need that DH spot available to rotate. Uh, especially if, if Ryan Mountcastle is healthy and playing first base every day. Right. Um, but over, overall, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that the one trade that I thought the Orioles needed to make was Anthony Santander. Um, I think he's also kind of at a peak value kind of guy, um, has a couple years of control left, not a, 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 an unrestricted free agent until um, 2025. Um, and I, I mentioned Stowers. I wanted to see him in the lineup. My, my one hope for the Orioles trade deadline was that by the end of it, Kyle Stowers would be uh, an everyday uh, outfielder for the Orioles. That's not the case, but um, I can't say I'm too disappointed overall. Um, I think I'll call it pseudo selling was, was the right move here. Um, and I think back to the trade deadlines with Dan Duquette and the one that really stands out to me was 2015 um, for 
a, a big portion of Duquette's tenure. Obviously, we made the playoffs in 2012 and 16, won the division in 2014. But I felt for a long time like he was content with being good, but not quite good enough. And I think what Elias is trying to do is get us to good enough. Um, and I, I look back at, at 2015, like I mentioned, at the trade deadline, the orders were 50 and 52. That's a very familiar record. Um, they were six games back of the division, one game back of the second wild card spot. But I don't think anybody really believed that that 2015 Orioles team was good. Um, or not that good, I should say. You had Chris Davis, Matt Wieters, Steve Pierce, Wei Yin Chen, and Darren O'Day, among others, all on expiring contracts, all were playing well enough to garner some kind of return. And instead of trying to unload a couple of those guys and bolster what was not a very good farm system, we traded Tommy Hunter for Junior Lake, an option into AAA, and we traded Zach Davies, one of our better pitching prospects, for Gerardo Parra. Um, and that's that's a trade deadline that I, I look back on even now and think, how would things be differently if Duquette and the Orioles had handled that trade deadline a little bit differently? Because mm-hmm. I think that season in particular is a big part of why we're in this long-term rebuild that we're in now. Yeah. Um, well, they probably don't make the playoffs in 2016 if they're sellers in 2015, right? right. The, the Horonopara move never really made sense because you never got the impression that the Orioles were a left-handed hitting outfielder away from being a contender. Um, and Junior Lake, I don't know what the thought process was <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I they were they were so good from 20, in 2012, even 2013 until the final stretch, uh, late in the last six weeks of the season. 2014, they were phenomenal. But the, the, the big issue there is you, you don't bring back Nelson Cruz, you don't bring back Nick Markakis. And when, when you're looking at that, that's when the writing should have been on the wall. Yeah. Um, and 81 and 81, and if you remember, it took a five-game winning streak at the end of the season to get to 81 and 81. Um, yeah, and the fact that they didn't even – that you have Manny Machado who had a 35-homer season that year and you didn't try to extend him. The fact that you weren't able to extend Machado, Davis had an expiring contract. Uh, when, it was, when it was Davis that you gave the money to and not Machado, that's when everybody should have been like, this is going to fall apart. You know? Yeah. And, and so for me, yeah, 2015, that was uh, a serious error in judgment. And if you're asking me to compare that to now, I, I certainly wouldn't want uh, the Orioles to do something now that would make them following the footsteps of that 2015 season. Cause yeah, maybe you make the playoffs next year, but then everything falls apart the year after that. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about the past, but I don't, I, I brought this up just because it, it kind of feels like a good summation of, of the Duquette era, as opposed to what Elias is trying to do with this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to get us over the hump. Um, there's a, a quote, I believe uh, it was either John Mioli or Nathan Ruiz tweeted out. Uh, where Elias said, uh, quote, it's liftoff from here, um, mentioning that he kind of expects to make uh, significant additions, he said, in free mm-hmm. agency this offseason. Um, that's something that, again, we don't know, kind of like him saying he wants to talk to Mancini in the offseason. We don't know if that's just something for the fans or, or a legitimate interest, but um, Rock tweeted earlier t- earlier on Wednesday, I keep saying today, we're, we're not posting this till tomorrow, but um, – the tweet was Elias flew here, meaning to Texas, to talk to some core players and explain deadline decisions and express his hope that the Orioles get the wild card, but also explain that moves were made to keep organization healthy. Met with Hayes, Mountcastle, and Mullins, among others. You don't really see that from general managers going to fly to meet up with their team and talk right. to them and kind of make sure they understand what the thought process is. What, what do you make of that? And do you think that Elias really means it when he says he's going to try to make us flash this offseason? Um, well, Elias had to do that, uh, had to fly to Texas and meet with his team leaders because uh, he had to cover his tracks. Because if you recall the other day, he said, yeah, we're vying for a wild card spot right now. But realistically, I don't think we're going to get it. And, and when I re- when I read that he said that, I was like, this dude is thinking out loud. Like, you can't say that. You, you just absolutely can't say that. So, yeah, then he then he says that. And he trades Trey Mancini, he trades Jorge Lopez, he has to go to Texas and he has to talk to his team because maybe he doesn't believe that the Orioles can make the playoffs this year, but his team does. And if they don't feel like they have the backing of their general manager and their front office in general, uh, then what are they playing for? And then how likely are you to keep some of these guys when their time comes up? 
You know what I mean? So he had to do that, in, in my opinion. Now, there are a lot of general managers that would have been like, look, I said what I said. It is what it is. So him going and doing that, kudos to him. But it's just, it's just one of those things where seeing is believing, right? Maybe it is liftoff in this offseason. I, I, just based on everything I've seen from the Orioles in my lifetime, I will believe it when I see it. There's a, there's a lot of good players to be had this offseason. And is he going to look at what he has come? Because he also said in that article that Rock wrote, there was all these quotes from Elias. He said, we have a lot of guys coming up from the minors who are going to make our team a lot better. So is he going to look at what they have come up in Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Kyle Stowers and Colton Kowser and the list goes on and on and think, I think we're okay with what we got. Is he going to go out there and make a play for an Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa who's almost certainly going to opt out? Or is he going to try and trade Trey Turner? Maybe he does sign a bunch of free agents, but they're of the Jordan Lyles type of move, and they're not I, – I, do I believe he's going to sign guys in the offseason? Yeah. It's just a, who are they going to be? Are they going to be upper echelon guys? Are going to be the guys who are kind of like they're a role filler and not the guy? Yeah, I think we can all agree that if it's another offseason of Jordan Lyles, Ruben Nettador, Robinson Torinos, it's going to be pretty disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Paul, we've talked about uh, we think Elias is working toward the future with these trade deadline moves. Not everybody is on board. You had an interesting encounter at the gym that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, thank you for reminding me because I almost like totally spaced it. It, I'm at the gym today and I'm in between sets and this woman comes up to me and I'm wearing an Orioles hat. I was wearing um, the the home cartoon bird hat with the white panel, right? And she comes up and she goes, I noticed your Orioles hat. And then she goes, it's a shame what they did to our team today. I said, what they did today? And she said... Yeah, you know, well, the other day they they traded Mancini and then they traded our closer. And and she says to me, I think that they're just doing this because uh, we're going to sell the team anyway. We don't care. And, and she fully thinks that the Orioles are moving. And I, I had to assure her on like three different times that the Orioles are never leaving. Major League Baseball won't let them leave Baltimore. But it just it speaks to how beaten down this fan base is, right? And, and we talk about the reactions to Trey Mancini and to Jorge Lopez and um, the negative reactions if you dislike a player. That, or, or if you say that the player that everybody loves had a bad game. And it's because this fan base is beaten down. And she mentioned the Colts leaving. You know, this was an older woman, you know, so, so she was alive and well when the, when, the, when the Colts left in the middle of the night. And people are expecting the worst in this town. I think that that's why the trade deadline – hurt them so much when it comes to a guy like Trey Mancini, because it's like, here we go again. It's just another long line. And they feel like Adam Jones was run out of town and they feel like Manny Machado was traded instead of signed. And, you know, they feel like Peter Angelos ran this team into the ground, despite him having the highest payrolls in baseball in the nineties. And it, it just, it sucks that that's where they are, but it's where the fans are, right. Because of everything that we've seen and Nobody believe uh, there's a, a large portion of the fan base that doesn't believe that Mike Elias is going to follow through with this and that he actually has a plan because they're trained to think that way. And it's just like it breaks my heart because I have no reason to believe Mike Elias, but I have no reason not to believe Mike Elias. And I'm choosing to believe him because everything he said he was going to do, he's going to do. But I mean, Again, it's seeing is believing. Just like I said, with what they're going to do in the offseason, I'll believe it when I see it when they sign the free agents. A lot of these people, they'll believe it when they see it if the Orioles get back into contention and actually spend money on this team. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot still yet to be determined. And it, it is a shame that you know we kind of jump to the conclusion that, well, maybe they're getting ready to skimp out on us. Um, and it's it's unfortunate. It's, it's disheartening. But um, I'm glad you you reassured her that the Orioles aren't going anywhere because I I, I think that's um, pretty pretty obvious at this point that you know regardless of what happens with the major league team uh, they're not leaving Camden Yards even if they do sell the team Major League Baseball is not going to let them move mm-hmm. um, and so you know we have that to remain optimistic about uh, but as for the the on field activity. Uh, hopefully they continue to, to trend in the right direction. Uh, speaking of which, the Orioles are 54 and 51 after sweeping the Texas Rangers, shifting gears a little bit. Season high, three games above 500. 
Season high, three games above 500. They're a game and a half back of the third wild card spot. Uh, as of Tuesday night, they now have a positive run differential on the year, which is certainly exciting. They went five and five in a 10 game stretch against the Rays and Yankees, which I think that's about as good as you could hope for. Uh, mm-hmm. Um coming off of a 10 game winning streak. So a 15 and five stretch there, they dropped two or three in Cincinnati, but they swept the Texas Rangers pretty easily, Paul. And the interesting thing to me uh, after the Orioles have now swept the Rangers for the second time this season, that's a six game season series. Orioles go six, no against the Rangers. They will not meet again this season. The Rangers spent $561.2 million on free agents this past off season. The Orioles spent less than 10 million. Mm-hmm. And, and here you have the Orioles, uh, in, in, in prime position to make a run at a wild card, the Rangers. I'm not even sure what their record is, but I know it's it's they were about like, ten they, games below. Yeah, they're like ten games below. Um, yeah, it's it's something like that. I don't know the exact numbers, but um, Paul, what what did you make of this Rangers series? Because it it seemed like um, you know based on the payroll, it should be David versus Goliath, but it was the other way around. If the Orioles ever needed a series sweep, it was now. It was this this series sweep against the Rangers. They go they go into Cincinnati and Cincinnati's about thirty games below five hundred, and they or 20, 25 games below five hundred. They go into Cincinnati and they lose two or three, and then you see Trey Mancini get traded. Then you see Jorge Lopez get traded, and people are talking about this. It's a fire sale. The two players isn't a fire sale. The Orioles needed this sweep. Because you heard the quotes coming out of the clubhouse from Ryan Mountcastle and from Hayes and from um, from Anthony Santander that like we just lost guys that were really important to us and it's not going to be easy without them. And they needed to remind themselves that the rest of the team is still intact and the rest of the team is still really good. And so they needed to go in there and sweep the Rangers and remind themselves, oh yeah, we're still we're still a really good ball club. Let's let's run away. Let's let's get at not run away with this thing, but let's get after this thing. Huge series sweep. Texas, they had they had fringe playoff hopes. And I think the Orioles kind of put that to bed um, a little bit there, unless Texas gets ultra hot. An important sweep, especially when you figure that they're coming home now for the 30th anniversary of Camden Yards celebration all weekend long against a team in the Pittsburgh Pirates that has the second worst record in the National League, fourth re- uh, worst record in baseball. There's an opportunity to get a sweep there, too. That was a big, big series sweep for the Orioles moving forward for their playoff chances. Yeah, and, and one thing that stood out to me – well, I'll, I'll say this first. Um, I watched Jordan Lyle's postgame interview yesterday, and there were a lot of questions about, you know, how, how do you continue to power through and, um, you know, stay positive when you lose a guy like Mancini, you use a guy like Lopi, and – he kind of downplayed it and just said, you know, we're all, we're all professionals. We, uh, you know, it it doesn't really impact us too much. We still need to go about our business and win games. And even Taron Vavra in his post-game interview today, I know he hasn't been part of that, uh, that team for a a long time, but, you know, knows a lot of guys in the organization. And, and even he said, you know, we just, we keep grinding. We know what we're capable of. And, um, you know, so I I think it's important to have a guy like Lyles there who can kind of keep you Mm -hmm. even keel, you can go to him and say, you know, hey man, I, you know, I miss, I miss Jorge. He'd be like, hey, it's, you know, it's gonna be all right. I know that sounds pretty elementary, but, um, you know, it, it's important to have those guys in the clubhouse, whether it's Jordan Lyles or, uh, I'll say it, Rugnet Odor, a good clubhouse guy. Uh, but let's talk about the Orioles lineup. Uh, top of the order's been hot. Cedric Mullins got on base seven times in this Rangers series. Uh, Three hole hitter Anthony Santander got on base five times. He now has a 14 game hitting streak. But the two-hole hitter, Adley Rutschman, can't stop hitting doubles. He hit two apiece in each of the first two games of the series. He walked three more times today. He got on base nine times total in the three-game series. Um, after going 0 for 4 in the Reds in the final game of the Red series to snap a streak of nine straight games, reaching base safely two or more times, which, by the way, broke Boog Pal's Orioles rec- rookie record. Mm-hmm. Paul, Adley Rutschman is a very good baseball player. Well, and this is like what I said when we were talking about Trey. This is Adley's team. He's the best player on the team. He's a team leader. He goes out to the – all you have to do is look at him when he catches a final pitch or they get the final out in a game and his reaction. The guy loves to win, and he's a natural-born winner and natural-born leader. Gets on base. Moving him up to the two-hole was maybe the smartest thing Brandon Hyde's done all year because this guy is your – 
prototypical two hitter right now. Like you said, three walks a day. Even if he goes, even if he takes an O for in a game, he's having professional bats. We're seeing a lot of pitches and probably getting a couple of walks in there. Uh, I, I look at this team, and that's why losing Trey and losing Jorge didn't really hit me as hard as maybe other as it hit other people because you still have some really good ball players on this team. Cedric Mullins, yeah, he's not going to go 30 for 30, 30, 30 this year and hit close to 300. But this guy's probably going to finish the year hit between 260 and 270 with 30 to 40 stolen bases, maybe 15 home runs. Uh, and that's a damn good leadoff hitter, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jorge Mateo's bat's coming on. I look at this team, and they've got a lot of talent. You, you, you talk about Jordan Lyles. They just got to figure out if, they, if they're starting p- pitching can keep them in games enough the rest of the way to get over the hump and make it into the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about guys getting on base a ton. Taron Vavra uh, has come mm-hmm. up and been a, a little bit of a spark plug, especially in this Ranger series. He's reached base now in his last six plate appearances, uh, four walks, a single, and on Wednesday, a pinch hit RBI double to give the Orioles the lead. They would not look back. He's the first oil Paul since Stuffy McDougal in 1959 to reach in six consecutive plate appearances within a span of his first six career major league games. Paul, anytime you go back to a name like Stuffy McDougal, you know, you've done something right. Yeah. Um, what's the, uh, <laughs> that's the best, that's the best, uh, slow pitch I've seen since Smitty McGee. Yeah. Something from, like from, uh, yeah. From, um, Rookie of the year. Yeah, yeah. 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 Taron Vavra, we were all up in arms because he got called up and then he didn't make his first appearance until his fourth game with the team. And it was in a pinch. It was or his third game with the team. It's a pinch running appearance. Doesn't get his first start till game five. I think it was um, or game four. And then he comes in and he's three for nine with five walks in his first six games. This is a guy who, look, he's not going to hit 25 home runs in the season. But he's going to take quality at bats. He's going, to, he's going to put together professional at bats. He's going to get on base, and he can steal a couple of bags too. And he's going to play serviceable enough defense wherever you put him because he's an athlete that you aren't going to have to worry about it. Uh, for me, I, I put out a tweet the other day. All they have to do now is call up Gunnar Henderson. You have a thirty-year lineup that just has professional at bats in uh, Henderson, Rutschman, and Vavra. I don't know that Henderson gets called up, but what Vavra's doing. He's earning more playing time. Even if he doesn't get hits, the amount of pitch he's making the pitchers work and he's getting on base. It's been an impressive start to his, to his big league career. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you look at um, how poorly Rugnetador has been playing as of late. Uh, Vavra's a guy you want to see in the lineup on a regular basis from this point forward. And I think he is, you know, small sample size, of course, but he's, he's shown his ability to work the count, uh, get on base and, uh, he, I, did, I think he got caught stealing on in Tuesday night's game, but uh, he'll, he'll get you some stolen bases. You said he might not hit. You, you said he's not going to hit 25 homers in a season. He might not hit five home runs in a season, mm-hmm. uh, but he's going to get you a lot of doubles, a lot of base hits, a lot of walks. Uh, he's a great base runner. And so got a little uh, Brian Roberts in him. Yeah, I, I've seen that that uh, comparison thrown around a few times. So, um, yeah, certainly an exciting name to be tied to if you're an Orioles second baseman. And the next step, I guess, is getting him to actually play second base. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, does Odor make it the whole season with the Orioles? I mean, it's August. Man, we've talked about this so much throughout the season uh, on on other shows. I, I and and you know that at the beginning of the year, I didn't think he should have made the team out of spring training. Mm-hmm. He um, didn't deserve it. No, he did not at all. He had a terrible spring. Um, Brandon Hyde loves this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think he makes it to the end of the year unless they decide that they're ready to call up. Uh, I think both of Henderson and and Westberg. Um, now, I, I don't think he stays in the starting lineup, although I think he should have been removed from the starting lineup long ago uh, and relegated to a, a pinch hitting uh, bench cheerleader kind of role but um at this point i I have no reason to believe that he's not going to make it to the end of the season just based on how much brandon hyde and the the rest of the team they clearly love the guy and i mean it's it's a good guy to have in the clubhouse but i i don't want him in the starting lineup every day especially if it's going to take at bats away from bavra yeah yeah and bavra's proving now they won't play bavra against uh left-handed pitchers but they're not really playing no door against left-handed pitchers either. So I don't know what they're going to do there, but anyway, I don't know. Vavra's on base percentage against lefties in the minors was like 370 or something. So I'm, 
I, I don't think he should be a platoon guy at this point. Mm-hmm. You got to get him some experience. Uh, but nevertheless, let's. Uh, we, so we've talked about the good in the Orioles lineup. Um, a little bit about the bad. Ramona Rios has cooled off immensely since his go-ahead home run versus Tampa Bay. Uh, at that point in time, you could make the argument he was the hottest player in baseball. Um, mm-hmm. He had had a, a stellar previous 10 games, uh, getting on base a ton, hitting for power. Um, he's two for 28, Paul, since that home run. Right. Uh, still seems to be hitting the ball pretty well, just not quite falling. you have any, any level of concern with, with Arias, or is this just a little slump? Um, well, when you consider that he was slumping like this the first two months of the year, hitting the ball hard but not having results for it, um, maybe there's a little bit of concern. I've noticed with the swing, it seems like he's late a lot. Um, and it seems like maybe he got a little power hungry uh, or homer hungry or homer happy um, <laughs> because I feel like he's been popping up a lot of balls. Yeah. Uh, am I concerned? I mean, we were having a conversation 10 days ago, um, not you and me, but I was having a conversation with people. What do you do about Ramona Rios? Is he part of your long-term future? He's the best hitter on the team right now. There's nobody else in the line you trust more than him. And then he immediately fell off a cliff. Uh, I'm not concerned because I know what they have coming. Um, and I think that he can get himself out of it. I think that once the rest of the lineup starts to heat up, it'll take some of the pressure off of him. So am I concerned about Ramona Rios? Um, I, I'm like 60, 40, not concerned right now. Fair enough. Do you think, do you think he's a trade candidate this off season? Uh, depends on what you're asking for. You know, I don't yeah. know that anybody's going to give you a boatload for him. Um, but I also don't think that he's a guy that you want to have as a platoon player, a guy who is a utility guy, because I think that he's better than that. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the least to see them ride with him at the beginning of the year until they deem that somebody else is ready to take over somewhere. But yeah. he could be. I, 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 it's definitely a wait and see with him because is he the guy who hit 370 with the runners in scoring position last year and was hearing the cover off the ball in July? Or is he the guy who was seen go two for 28 his last two weeks? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what happens with the Rias. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle. It has now mm-hmm. been a calendar month since his last home run. Uh, just looks lost at the plate. Um, his first pitch swing percentage is over 50. Now it's uh, third in baseball, third highest mm-hmm. in baseball among qualified hitters. He's swung at the second most pitches out of the strike zone behind Javier Baez, who was a usual suspect. Um, as a result, his strikeout and walk numbers are not at all where you'd like to see them. But if you look at his, his quality of contact stats on baseball savant, there's a lot of red. Mm-hmm. He's, let's see, he's 87th percentile in hard hit percentage, 89th in barrel, uh, 82nd percentile in expected weighted on base average, 90th percentile expected batting average, 89th expected slugging. So the peripheral stats for his his contact rates are very good. But what do you what do you think is is going on with Mountcastle right now? Because he he's not making good swing decisions and and he looks like he's not entirely sure what he's doing at the plate. For, for me, this is honestly, it, it, it's a guy who's just pressing right now. Um, this guy who's batting average was up in the 280s not that long ago, and so all the way down to 252. What I have seen from him, he got the two hits in the opening game of the series against Texas on what was it on Monday. Um, yeah. I've seen him walk a couple of times in this in this series, so it looks like maybe he's getting a little bit better with the swing decision. I think he's just in his own head. I'm I'm not concerned about him because you don't hit 333 in the truncated season and then come out the, in the, your first full season and hit 33 home runs and then have the June that he had this year and not be a talented hitter. Uh, he's got the hands are quick. He's got the ability to find the barrel anytime he wants when he's really going, going good. He's just honestly, Ryan, at this point, he's got to square one up and hit it over the wall. And I think it's going to help him get back. It's really, he's one home run away from going on a tear uh, and I thought that maybe that double that he hit on on Monday was going to get it started, and maybe it did because he's having better at bats, even though it's not real. He's not really getting the results. Not concerned now. If this is continuing into September and for the rest of the year, um, then maybe I'll be concerned. I'll, I'll want to see that he had a really good off season and then a really nice spring to kind of levy those fears. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I want to see him hit one over the fence too. I was hoping he would do it. In the Cincinnati Red Series, uh, Mountcastle has 14 homers on the year. His expected home runs 
by Park show, Great American Ballpark, uh, 25 expected home runs if he played all of his games there. That's the highest of any stadium. So I was really hoping he'd run into one there, get his confidence back. Unfortunately, that was not the case. But yeah, I mean, he's got a good track record. We know what he is in terms of his swing decisions. He's never going to have elite plate discipline. He's always going to be a little swing happy. But the contact numbers are there. And I think when he starts to see some fall, that confidence is just going to continue following. Yeah. But uh, Paul, that's all for the notes I have. I wanted to say a little bit about the upcoming series, just preview the starting pitchers. But uh, was there any, anything else you wanted to touch on before we, before we get ready for our sign off here? No, man, I'm just, um, I'm what, who do the Orioles have after Pittsburgh? I know that I think they got Boston and Toronto and I think that they have a, a pretty tough, a pretty tough schedule coming up, which is why, you know, I was really hopeful they could maybe go seven and two in this stretch, maybe get a couple of sweeps in there. Although I didn't expect a sweep to come against Texas. I mean, yeah, they, they got Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay, Toronto, uh, Boston, the white Sox, Houston coming and Cleveland coming up the rest of this month. Um, they've, they've got some work to do. You know what I mean? They're three games above 500 right now with a nice little uh, three game series coming up against Pittsburgh. I, I, I think we're going to see this team's medal uh, the rest of August. And, you know, it, it, if they want to stay in it, they got to, like Mountcastle and Hayes have got to start hitting. And they, the starting pitching has been good recently, but Bradish was like teetering today. Um, I'm not sure that the starting pitching can be able to hold up, hold up to get them over the hump, but I'm excited to see how the rest of this season plays out for sure. Yeah, man. I wish we could have gotten into Bradish a little bit more. Um, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about uh, regarding him as, as we continue doing these podcasts. Uh, but yeah, we got the pirates coming up for three. Uh, that series will be in Baltimore. Dean Kramer, Austin Voth, and Spencer Watkins in that order are lined up to start those three games. 13 out of 14 games after that will be against divisional opponents with a a makeup versus the Cubs mixed in there Mm -hmm. uh, at Camden Yards. So going to be an interesting stretch. Um, The the starting pitching has has faltered a bit lately. Got a great outing from Jordan Lyles against the Rangers on Tuesday. Bradish wasn't great, but got through five, only gave up one on Wednesday. Uh, so you'd like to see that trend continue, but three very winnable games against the pirates this weekend. And, uh, we will be back. Uh, I guess we haven't really talked about a schedule for this. We just kind of wanted to get an episode out. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to continue to do this. I've got a a new graphic coming in. That's, that's got Paul's name added to it. Um, got to log back into the, all these websites and, and make sure my settings are still intact and we're going to set up Streamyard and maybe do some of these live uh, a little bit down the road. But uh, in any event, Paul, it's, it's been a pleasure and I, I look forward to continuing this project with you, man. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I hope I didn't talk too much. I have the, uh, I, I have the personality of a host and you know what I mean? And you're, you're the host of this show. So I was, I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, am I, am I saying too much? Am I talking no, too dude, much? dude, you're, you are my equal here. We have both our names on the thing. You, I, we are, we are co-hosts of this show this, this is our thing. So I, I, you can talk as much as you want. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. Man. I'm looking forward to uh, finishing out the rest of the season, doing this and moving into an off season. Hopefully it's an exciting off season to move into, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Absolutely. Well, you can follow me at Rye Guy Blake. You can follow him at Paul Valley, the third frog in my throat. You can follow the podcast at give that fan a pod. And uh, thank you as always to Derek and Tony and the crew at Utah street report for hosting this podcast and uh, we will see you next time on give that fan a podcast.